You're listening to Surreal Sports Stories with your host, Mike Ginocchio. On May 25, 2020, Minneapolis native George Floyd was killed by members of the police department. In a video recording that went viral around the world, Floyd could be seen face down on the ground, his hands handcuffed behind his back. Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin could be seen kneeling on Floyd's neck. Below him, Floyd frantically cried out that he couldn't breathe. Chauvin was flanked by three of his colleagues in the police department. Two of them, J. Alexander King and Thomas Lane, further restrained Floyd. Another officer, Tao, prevented onlookers from interfering. Chauvin kept his knee on Floyd's neck for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. Onlookers that were filming the encounter could be heard begging the cops to stop, and begging for Chauvin to, at the very least, take his knee off of Floyd's neck. Officer Chauvin did not respond. He would not take his knee off of Floyd's neck until medics arrived and ordered him to do so. For the final two minutes, Floyd was motionless and had no pulse. His last reported words were cries for his mother. The following day, as the video leaked to the world, the Minneapolis Police Department initially released a statement entitled, Man Dies After Medical Incident During Police Interaction. It made no mention of Chauvin kneeling on Floyd's neck. Hours later, after the videos by onlookers went viral, the Minneapolis Police Department updated its statement. It remarked that its initial report had been preliminary, and that new information had been made available, and that they had asked the FBI to get involved. Later that day, the four officers were placed on administrative leave. They were fired by the end of business hours. But it was too late. The world had seen what the Minneapolis Police Department had clearly wanted to hide. Here was a man who was killed by a police officer in a graphic and excessive way. It was the literal definition of police brutality. Earlier in the year, the United States had been rocked by the video of a graphic killing of another young unarmed black man, this time in Georgia, when Ahmaud Arbery was chased down by three white men in a truck and then shot with a shotgun in an incident decried as a modern-day lynching. Arbery's only crime was that he had decided to go for a jog that day. What had been Floyd's crime? That he had allegedly passed a counterfeit $20 bill at a convenience store. In the wake of these two grisly murders recorded on video, and in the wake of a global pandemic that was already disproportionately affecting black Americans, and as well as the shockingly disproportionate retribution doled out to men such as Arbery and Floyd for such small instances, something snapped. Nationwide, black Americans decided, fuck this. What followed was a mass mobilization of protests not seen since the civil rights movement of the 1960s. There had been protests after the murder of black men by the police before, but this was different. This was nationwide. This was worldwide. And for the first time since the formation of the Black Lives Matter movement in 2014, black Americans were not alone. People worldwide of varying races, creeds, ethos, religions, and backgrounds stood up and marched alongside their black brothers and sisters whose cries had up to that point been dismissed, downplayed, or ignored. They, too, threw themselves into the fray. They, too, saw and experienced the level of systemic injustice that black Americans deal with on a daily basis. 
and for the first time, a growing majority of people could be heard to say the same thing, the thing that their black brothers and sisters had been saying for hundreds of years and trying to get them to say that whole time. Black Lives Matter. It was a cascade, a thunderous ripple effect that filtered into every crevice of society. Businesses took a stand for black lives, announcing that they would invest in black communities and in racially integrating their own spaces. Organizations took a stand for black lives, announcing that they too would invest in black life. School systems threw out the curriculum of old, vowing to teach in a way that amplified voices long since ignored. And sports leagues took a stand for black lives as well. Like a clarion bell ringing out across the horizon, this was more than a trend. This was a paradigm shift. And in the midst of it all, as the sports world took up the call of Black Lives Matter, people began to ask the same question. Wait, isn't this exactly what Colin Kaepernick was talking about in the first place? Which brings us back to the man himself. Truthfully, the reemergence of Colin Kaepernick had begun several years prior. In 2018, two years after Kaepernick had last played a snap in an NFL game, Nike ran an ad that was part of the 30-year anniversary of the launch of their famed Just Do It slogan. It was a simple ad, a black-and-white photo of Kaepernick's face staring directly into the camera. In white lettering, the ad said solemnly, quote, Believe in something, even if it means sacrificing everything, end quote. Here's the thing about ads. Despite the fact that there are a lot of objectively terrible ones out there, whatever you do, don't Google Puppy Monkey Baby by Mountain Dew, the truth is that advertising executives focus group the hell out of their ads. They choose every angle, slave over every word, and consider every possible implication. For Nike to have an ad featuring Colin Kaepernick was already bold enough, acting as an implicit endorsement. But that line, believe in something even if it means sacrificing everything, that's about as blatant an endorsement as it gets, short of Nike posting text under Kaepernick that reads, Black Lives Matter, and also Colin Kaepernick was illegally kept from signing with an NFL team. But the biggest thing to know about major ads by major companies? They only pick a figure or phrase if they think they can make money off of it. And Nike, by even hiring Kaepernick as a brand ambassador, was gambling that the potential windfall was going to far outweigh the backlash that such an endorsement would cause. And oh boy, was there a backlash. In the days after Nike's initial announcement, their stock price dropped 3%. For a company fighting for market share like Nike is, that's a pretty big drop. It was a value of over a billion dollars in value. People took to social media and loudly claimed that Nike had lost their business for supporting such an unpatriotic figure, and then they proceeded to burn their own Nike gear. Evidently not realizing that Nike had already had their business by then. Some would even share memes mocking Kaepernick's supposed sacrifice when another former NFL player, Pat Tillman, had given up his career to fight in Afghanistan and died in the line of duty. Evidently, these people did not realize that Tillman had been killed by friendly fire in a highly controversial event that some accused the Pentagon of covering up to avoid bad press, and not realizing that Tillman's own widow did not want people politicizing her husband's death. And of course, others had their piece to say as well. Quote, I think it's a terrible message. Nike is a tenant of mine. They pay a lot of rent, President Donald Trump said in an interview with conservative magazine The Daily Caller shortly after the ad dropped. I think it's a terrible message that they're sending and the purpose of them doing, maybe there's a reason for them doing it, Trump said, but I think as far as sending a message, I think it's a terrible message and a message that shouldn't be sent. There's no reason for it. 
end quote. Trump would eventually concede the point that as much as he didn't like it, Nike was within its rights to support Kaepernick, and that was what made America great. However, he was personally, quote, on a different side of it, end quote. Let's do a little associative test, though. If Nike ran an ad with Kaepernick front and center, that suggests that they are at least receptive to Kaepernick's position. And if Trump is on a different side of it, that suggests that he is opposed to Colin Kaepernick's position. And what exactly was Colin Kaepernick's position? Well, let's go back to the previous episode. Quote, I am not going to stand up and show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color, Kaepernick said in explaining why he started to kneel in the first place. To me, this is bigger than football and it would be selfish on my part to look the other way. There are bodies in the street and people getting paid leave and getting away with murder. End quote. If we draw this logical exercise to its narrative conclusion, that means that Kaepernick thinks that there is an epidemic of police brutality towards black people and people of color in the United States, and President Trump does not think that. It's important, I think, to note that distinction. What did the NFL have to say about this Kaepernick ad? Quote, The National Football League believes in dialogue, understanding, and unity, NFL Executive VP of Communications and Public Affairs Jocelyn Moore said. Quote, we embrace the role and responsibility of everyone involved with this game to promote meaningful, positive change in our communities. The social justice issues that Colin and other professional athletes have raised deserve our attention and action. End quote. So the NFL thinks that these social justice issues Colin was raising attention towards are important and deserve action and attention. They just don't want him anywhere near them. And if you're wondering why the NFL would even bother to make a statement like that so far... Well, consider that Nike is one of the major suppliers of NFL goods. Sometimes money talks. And speaking of money talking, here's the thing. After the initial shock and stock drop, Nike's stock exploded. Sales went through the roof. Many, many people praised the ad as brave, if somewhat cynical, marketing. Colin Kaepernick was not brand poison. He was the exact opposite. Amazingly, it seemed as though Colin Kaepernick had risen in popularity and influence since his last days in the league, not decreased. It was almost as if the NFL was like Darth Vader, and Colin Kaepernick was old Obi-Wan Kenobi saying, If you strike me down, I shall become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. As the New Yorker magazine put it, part of what made Kaepernick stick was the nature of his story. Sure, some people hated him, but, quote, There is another narrative that Kaepernick conjures that of an individual driven by conscience fighting a lonely crusade against forces more powerful than he is. The odds are far from being in his favor, but no matter, he persists. In this telling, Kaepernick the subversive is transformed into something more legible, more familiar, an American character whom Steinbeck might have imagined. Goliath has size and strength, but David is the one with the compelling story. End quote. In 2017, Kaepernick was named GQ Magazine Citizen of the Year, and in April of 2018, Amnesty International gave him their Ambassador of Conscience Award. During the 2018 U.S. Open, Kaepernick was shown on screen, and the crowd gave him an ovation. Serena Williams, who was playing in the Open against her sister Venus, remarked after her match that, quote, I think every athlete, every human, and definitely every African American should be completely grateful and honored how Colin is doing so much more for the greater good. End quote. She also made a point to note that Colin Kaepernick's former teammate, Eric Reed, was also with him. Reed had also joined Kaepernick in taking a knee 
and who had mysteriously found no offers after his contract expired in 2017, despite the fact that he was a Pro Bowl player. And here's the thing. Despite all of this goodwill, despite all this good press, Colin Kaepernick received no offers from any NFL team. In the days immediately following the death of George Floyd, the comparisons between the actions of Officer Derek Chauvin and Colin Kaepernick were aggressively and overtly drawn. People, including influential figures such as NBA star LeBron James, shared a side-by-side image on social media of Chauvin kneeling on Floyd's neck versus Kaepernick kneeling on the sideline. The message? This is why Kaepernick knelt. It was almost a grotesque parallel. Reality could not be so horrifyingly bizarre that the very action that Kaepernick used to raise awareness towards police brutality would be used in perhaps the most famous instance of police brutality ever witnessed worldwide, could it? And yet it was. As other sports leagues rallied worldwide to profess that Black Lives Matter, the NFL was now in a spotlight, and not in a particularly good way. The league has a clear-cut and concerningly top-heavy diversity problem. The vast majority of players in the NFL are black, while the vast majority of coaches and executives in the league are white. In addition, the NFL also has a history of racist practice that has required internal action by the league. Historically, there was such a bias against hiring blackhead coaches that the league had to institute what is known as the Rooney Rule, named after former Pittsburgh Steeler owner Dan Rooney, who chaired the league's diversity committee that came up with it. The Rooney Rule is official policy that teams must interview at least one coach of color in their hiring process. But even with the so-called Rooney Rule in place, the disparity between white coach hirings versus black coach hirings remains massively in favor of white coaches. The NFL had to do something, so it did. In a video message released in June of 2020, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell spoke on behalf of the league in response to the worldwide protests. His message? Essentially, our bad. Quote, We, the National Football League, condemn racism and the systematic oppression of black people, Goodell said. We, the National Football League, admit we were wrong for not listening to NFL players earlier and encourage all to speak out and peacefully protest. End quote. It was a mea culpa of sorts, a wide-ranging admission of guilt by inaction. It said a lot, but there was one thing it didn't say that a lot of people noticed. Not once did Roger Goodell mention Colin Kaepernick by name. And that did not go unnoticed. Former NFL star Michael Bennett, who spent much of his career and post-career life fighting for civil rights and calling out systemic racism, felt that Goodell's apology, and by extension the NFL itself, was insincere. Quote, Goodell's saying that Black Lives Matter is almost like a slap in the face. For decades, black talent has been exploited at a high level in the NFL. He knows Black Lives Matter because without black players, the NFL wouldn't be as lucrative as it is. End quote. Christine Brennan, a sports columnist who had known Goodell a long time, believed that Goodell was being sincere but also agreed with Bennett's point. Quote, There are things he cares about, she said. People criticize him all the time, but can see him watching what's going on, listening to his players. Like he said, if there are no black players, there is no National Football League. He knows that and means it. Would have loved to see him apologize to Colin Kaepernick or say something about Kaepernick. End quote. Be that as it may, at least in the public eye, the commissioner of the NFL looked the camera dead in the eye and said, Black Lives Matter. 
That's nice. But people have been saying they support black people for hundreds of years. Talk is, admittedly, quite cheap. What matters is one's actions. Though the NFL committed itself to donating money over a prolonged period of time to support racial equity moving forward, there are still some major concerns about whether they're being authentic or whether they're engaging in a performative form of support, hoping that people will stop looking at them so hard. And some of those concerns feel quite legitimate. For starters, one of the NFL's initiatives was a plan to play Lift Every Voice and Sing before the start of every Week 1 game. For those not in the know, Lift Every Voice is a beautiful, rousing song that is sometimes known as the Black National Anthem. That's a nice gesture, but what exactly does it accomplish? Some fans came out and accused it as blatant pandering, and, not only that, also out-of-touch pandering. For many protests nationwide, they're led by young people, and young activists are far more willing to use Childish Gambino's This Is America as their anthem of protest than Lift Every Voice. Furthermore, there's really only one thing that the NFL was avoiding that many people pointed out would be a true and authentic show of support. As writer Nancy Amoir wrote, quote, As long as Colin Kaepernick remains blackballed by the NFL, playing the Black National Anthem before all Week 1 games and finding a way to recognize the black men and women who've been killed by law enforcement is just window dressing, a way to make a statement without saying anything of substance. End quote. And that's important to remember. Because even in the midst of a nationwide effort to actually try to address systemic issues that have plagued people of color and specifically black people in America, there are still some people who just miss the point. Take Drew Brees. Drew Brees, for those who don't know, is one of the greatest NFL quarterbacks of all time. He is at the top or close to the top of every major passing record in league history. He's won a Super Bowl. And he was asked about the recent clash of protests against police brutality nationwide. And this is what he had to say. Quote, I will never agree with anybody disrespecting the flag of the United States, of America, or our country. Let me just tell what I see or what I feel when the national anthem is played and when I look at the flag of the United States. I envision my two grandfathers who fought for this country during World War II, one in the Army and one in the Marine Corps, both risking their lives to protect our country and to try to make our country and this world a better place. So every time I stand with my hand over my heart looking at that flag and singing the national anthem... That's what I think about. Is everything right with our country right now? No, it is not. We still have a long way to go. But I think what you do by standing there and showing respect to the flag with your hand over your heart is it shows unity. It shows that we are all in this together. We can all do better and that we are all part of the solution. End quote. This was a rather thoughtful and heartfelt observation that had exactly nothing to do with anything going on at the time. And Drew Brees was excoriated online. Whether he realized it or not, he had become the face of oblivious white privilege. These protests going on nationwide had nothing to do with him or his grandfathers or the flag itself. And they were not about disrespect of the flag. That was never the point to begin with. After all, what had Colin Kaepernick said? I am not going to stand up and show pride in a flag for a country that oppresses black people and people of color. These protests have never been about the flag. It was about protesting the policies of the country that waves it. Some tried to defend Breeze, claiming that he didn't know any better, and that he was just speaking without thinking. Well, here's the troubling implication with that argument. Drew Breeze came to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina hit, 
a national tragedy that was equal parts natural disaster as well as government failing. It was also a tragedy that disproportionately affected black Americans. Rather infamously, during the nationwide televised Katrina relief event, Kanye West looked into the camera and ad-libbed and said George W. Bush, the president at the time, doesn't care about black people. Drew Brees has, for the better part of a decade and a half, sold his image as someone who is devoted to the city of New Orleans. And the people of New Orleans, again, a city that's majority black, rallied behind him because they believed that he was sincere and that he supported them. He also plays on a football team that is majority black. For him to say something like he did about the flag and about Kaepernick's protest, that suggested one of two possibilities. Either he was A, literally unaware of what was going on, like some of his defenders might have said, or B, he knew, and he chose not to see it. It's not a good look, as the kids would say, when the best people can say in your defense is, he doesn't know any better, he's dumb. Breeze, to his credit, or his publicist's credit, swiftly apologized. And then he took another step when President Trump expressed anger at him apologizing in the first place. Both the president and Texas Senator Ted Cruz called Breeze a baby for apologizing. Breeze responded by stating, quote, We can no longer use the flag to turn people away or distract them from the real issues that face our black communities. We did this back in 2017, and regretfully I brought it back with my comments. We must stop talking about the flag and shift our attention to the real issues of systemic racial injustice, economic oppression, police brutality, and judicial and prison reform. End quote. As some pointed out, it took Drew Brees four years from the day that Kaepernick first started kneeling to get the point, but better late than never. A few weeks after raging about Drew Brees' flip-flop, President Trump was asked about Kaepernick and the possibility about him playing in the NFL. This was a man who had alluded to Colin Kaepernick being a son of a bitch for protesting. But when asked here, the president responded, quote, If he deserves it, he should. If he has the playing ability, his playing wasn't up to snuff. End quote. That is, quite simply, the biggest load of bullshit. It was never a question about whether Kaepernick deserved to play. Deserve has nothing to do with it. And he's always had the playing ability. To think that Kaepernick's play wasn't up to snuff when there have been over 50 quarterbacks signed to NFL teams, most of whom have never played a snap since signing, since Kaepernick's blackballing, is an insult to fans' intelligence. This was a guy who led his team to a Super Bowl. His stats, if you look at them online, look great. It was never about his playing ability, just like it was never about the flag. It was always about race and how we respond when we are confronted by it. The major media may have moved on to the next thing after spending wall-to-wall coverage of protests, but that doesn't mean that the protests have just disappeared. And that certainly doesn't mean that the issues that drove Colin Kaepernick to take a knee in the first place have finished. But there's something that has happened. We've all been made aware of reality. We can no longer pretend that Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech ended the fight against racism, and that the election of Barack Obama created a post-racial society. The truth is, there are two Americas, one for those who are white and have privilege, and one for those who have neither of those things. There's no more happy myth to tell ourselves. And when I say ourselves, I mean white people. Black people have been saying this stuff for decades, centuries even. 
other people of color know this truth as well. It's just that every so often, we are shown something that reminds us of the Great Divide. And for many of us, we've managed to successfully hide ourselves from the truth. That's why people scream stick to sports. They don't want to be confronted with reality, because then the next instinct is to think that it's somehow their fault. They just want athletes to shut up and dribble, as conservative commentator Laura Ingram derisively told LeBron James when that NBA star started getting socially active. Anything, anything, anything to avoid culpability. Anything to avoid the reality that things aren't actually equal. But as human beings, we have an obligation to the truth. You might say that this surge of anti-racism or reckoning with our nation's dark side has led to meaningful change. And truthfully, it has. In pieces, sure, but progress is progress. Which, of course, motivates people to ask for more. No movement for social reform has ever really had an eh, good enough point to begin with. That's literally the story of humanity right there. Someone will always be pushing the ball forward. It's just up to us to help that person push the ball forward to move it at a faster pace. But we still have a long way to go. At the recording of this podcast, it's mid-September of 2020. The NFL season is underway. Before the start of the first game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Houston Texans on September 10, both teams stood in the middle of the field and linked arms in a moment of silence to show national unity. Fans in Arrowhead Stadium proceeded to boo. Think about that. When presented with a reminder that we are one people, and that when some of our brothers and sisters are in distress, we have an obligation to help them, some fans chose to boo. Even though the Kansas City Chiefs are the defending Super Bowl champion, and only could have gotten to that point on the back of their superstar quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, who is black, some of these fans chose to boo. In light of everything... They chose to boo. Houston Texans superstar J.J. Watt was dumbfounded about the experience. Quote, The moment of unity I personally thought was good. I mean, the booing during that moment was unfortunate. I don't fully understand that. There was no flag involved. There was nothing involved other than two teams coming together to show unity. End quote. The truth is, though, there was more involved than just two teams coming together to show unity. And the truth is that J.J. Watt doesn't understand the way a good person doesn't understand why someone would seek to do evil in the world. And all this display shows us is simply how much more work we have ahead of us. Yes, us, because we're all in this together. When our athletes break away from their game to tell us an ugly truth, maybe instead of shouting them down, we should listen to them. And instead of calling them out-of-touch, selfish millionaires, we should look to the power structures that create the inequities that they protest in the first place. They may have more money than the vast majority of people, but they're still people. They're human beings. And they are subject to the very same issues that we all face on a day-to-day -day basis. Again, when they take the time to stop sticking to sports, maybe instead of shouting them down, we should ask ourselves why. We should ask ourselves why people like Mahmoud Abdul-Rauf would risk his NBA career out of principle. We should ask ourselves why Colin Kaepernick was willing to risk millions and millions of dollars and the rest of his NFL career out of principle. And we should ask ourselves why Colin Kaepernick still remains unsigned by any NFL team, 
even as the League proclaims that Black Lives Matter. Once we start asking the scary questions, that's when we start learning the frightening answers. And when we know the frightening answers, we can work to make the world a little bit less frightening. And if you're listening to this, you can't say that you haven't heard the message now. The bell's been rung. You can't unring it. You can't unhear it. So what do we do next? That, my friends, is up to you. This has been the final in a trilogy of bonus episodes for Surreal Sports Stories. Sources for today's episodes include The New Yorker, USA Today, CNN, NBC Sports, NBC News, and many more. Surreal Sports Stories can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. If you like the show, drop a like and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to your shows. Thanks again for listening, folks. We're going to be going on a hiatus for the foreseeable future, and every single listener I've had, you got me right in my heart. I cannot thank you enough. As always, I'm your host, Mike Ginocchio. Stay steady, y'all. Black Lives Matter. Come